Uh, I haven't even introduced myself, and I do see there are a few uh, new faces here. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at our Port Campus of CA Church. If you're a guest, it's great to have you. Thanks for spending time with us this morning. And uh, when you head out today after the service, if you could stop by the welcome table, we just have a little gift we'd like to, to give you. We've been walking through a series on the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5, and um, we, we've kind of been talking about the different characteristics of what it looks like when we walk in the Spirit, where, as we're trying to, be, to look more like Jesus Christ, what are some of the aspects of our character, um, how, how ought they to look, and kind of like uh, holding a piece of fruit and turning it and looking at the different char- uh, characteristics of it, we've been trying to do that with the fruit of the Spirit. This week, we're going to be talking about kindness as one, uh, as part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. This week we were having, uh, some of the, the leaders from the church here were at my house for a barbecue, and, and in the morning, I, and even the night before, I was lamenting to, to my wife that things weren't really clean. They, I, we, I, I'm not going to have enough time to clean. And she said, don't worry about it. I, I'm going to be home for a little while and I'm going to be able to clean. Well, she had a very busy day. A lot of things came at her, kind of curveballs and things with the kids and all this kind of stuff that she had to deal with. So she sent me a text saying, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I, I responded by saying, I, well, I might have said a few other things, but I, I mostly, mostly said, that's fine. And then I said, I had a great day today. I just had a great day today. And she said, good thing. And I went, well, what do you mean good thing? Because your response would have been different if you had had a bad day. <laughs> I went, what? Is that the kind? Is that? And, and fortunately, I wrote the majority of my, my sermon, all of my sermon prior to yesterday, because there were a few times yesterday where she questioned, um, are you okay? Because you're not being the normal guy. So, uh, so I was realizing this week that uh, I have a kindness that often kind of moves with depending on how the day went. And, and our call to live as people of kindness ought to be one that is so firmly grounded that it does not sway back and forth by each circumstance we find ourselves in. So she was implying rightly that often my kindness, and I'm sure many of you would agree, can often shift with the way the day went. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read this, this two-verse text out of Ephesians. This is a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul, who also explains the fruit of the Spirit, um, and he speaks here briefly on kindness. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, he says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus Christ, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would say to us this morning through this ancient yet inspired by God text. So however we come in this morning, I pray you would open our hearts and minds to what you would say. And, and if there's steps we need to take, if there's areas that we need to, to unclasp our hands on in our lives and that taking up residence in our hearts and minds, we pray that we would make room for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a handful of things, here you guys can be seated, a handful of things that, that Paul is suggesting here about the nature of kindness about the nature of kindness. So I'm just going to kind of walk through 
uh, some of these. And the first thing he says is, kindness doesn't share. Sounds so negative. Kindness doesn't share. Kindness does not play well with others. And this is what I mean by that. Kindness either takes up residency in your heart or something else will. Kindness doesn't share. If you're going to be an angry person, kindness can't live there. If you're going to be a wrathful person, kindness can't live there. Both of those things can't live together. It's not simply something that we lack. It's, it's space that's being taken up by something. So if kindness has disappeared from our heart, there's not just a vacuum. Something else will seep in there very quickly. And it's the kinds of things that Paul is listing. Bitterness and wrath and anger. Clamor. I love that word. Clamor. It's not one we use. Literally yelling, screaming, slander, talking badly about people, trying to ruin their reputation. Malice desiring harm to other people. You can't be kind and have all those things taking up residence in, in your heart. No one has ever said, you know what? She screams a lot. She's angry. She threatens me with a knife. But other than that, she's very kind. She's a very nice person. You just have to get to know her. It doesn't work that way. Kindness takes over all those other things. There tends to be something in the way when kindness is not there. We don't only lack where it should be, something else is taking up space in our hearts. And, and in many cases, kindness is, is not lived out because many of these other characteristics have taken up residence. In the American Journal, uh, sorry, in the American Science Journal, there was a, a great article I read this week by a gentleman, a professor of psychology named Robert V. Levine. And he was studying kindness around the world. They set up experiments in 23 cities around the globe to test to see how kind people are in different cities. They set up several different kinds of scenarios to see if people would step in and do a kindness. So one of the things was is in a crowd, if someone was walking and they dropped a pen, would someone grab the pen and bring it back to them? They, if a person with a broken leg had dropped something like a magazine and, and couldn't lean over to get it, would someone grab the magazine? and give it to them. If there was a blind individual who was standing at a crosswalk looking to cross and unsure, looking kind of unsure of where they were to go, would a stranger help them out? Give them some guidance. If someone found an, an addressed letter with, with postage on it, had the postage on it, had the address, and it was just laying on the ground, would someone do the kindness of grabbing it and taking it to a post office or taking it to the mailbox? Now, in many cities, they had to give up the, the, the last one because they realized that they were trying to throw their culture on another culture, realizing that many of these cultures, 60% and up, it was, they were illiterate. They, they couldn't read, so it didn't mean anything. Or, or other cultures, they were using email, and they, sending a letter just wasn't happening anymore. Well, does anyone want to guess at what city rated the lowest in the world for kindness? Port Coquitlam. No, I'm just <laughs> Someone said it. New York. New York. Out of 23 cities studied in all these areas, they failed miserably. New York people were less likely in all of these scenarios to step in. They might, uh, they might yell about a pen, but they'll keep, hey, you dropped your pen, and then they'll, they'll keep going. The one that was top rated, actually, interestingly enough, was, was Tokyo, Japan, which if some of you have been to Tokyo, maybe you've experienced some of the kindness that takes place there. In, in Tokyo, not only would they find a letter and mail, take it to the mailbox, they would actually hand deliver it to the person whose, house, whose name was on the, the letter, which was interesting. Lelania shared with me that years ago when her and her mother were in Japan and they were looking for directions, a lady actually walked out and locked her shop to help them find where they were going. 
giving up, maybe making some money, giving up their time to help out. There's a few things that, that, that says in the article that I just want to share with you. It says, it says, we learned that there may be a difference between helping and civility. In places where people walked fast, they were less likely to be civil, even when they did offer assistance. In New York, helping gestures often had a particularly hard edge. In the blind person trials, helpful New Yorkers would often wait until the light turned green, tersely announce that it was safe to cross, and then quickly walk ahead. It's green, go! And then they would just walk. In general, it seemed as though New Yorkers are willing to offer help only when they could do so with the assurance of no further contact, as if to say, I'll meet my social obligation, but make no mistake, this is as far as we go together. In some of the letters that the, the New Yorkers did uh, return, many of the letters were torn open, then they were taped up. There were letters attached, with, attached to the letters, like post-it notes, swearing at the stupid person for how could they drop it, and that you must have idiot friends who would do this. Levine writes this. He said, it's interesting. It's interesting to picture this angry New Yorker, perhaps cursing my irresponsibility, all the while he was walking to the mailbox, yet for some reason feeling compelled to take the time to perform his social duty for a stranger he already hated. <laughs> when many of these people were asked why there was a resistance to kindness, they had their reasons. They'd been hustled in, in the past. They'd been fooled in the past when they tried to be kind. Don't we think that when, we're, when there's someone coming up for money, maybe? When we're... People had been angry when they'd offered help in the past. They'd been hit by canes and, and expletives when, when they've offered help in the past. They'd been taught from a time they were young to be careful of people trying to con you. Many of them, and I love this, many of them lamented that the world was not one where they could show kindness. Kindness had been seen as, as a weakness, something they shouldn't bother with. Yet they all longed for a world where it could exist. And the, the author sensed this lament that they did not feel that they were, they were free to offer kindness. It has been, it, they had been handcuffed. They, they, they couldn't offer kindness kindness. They've been handcuffed by fear and bitterness and slander that had pushed kindness out. Kindness doesn't do well. It doesn't share well with those other areas. If we lack kindness, we will allow something else in. But instead, kindness is a call to live lives sacrificially, where we still, in spite of fear, will move forward, where even if we've been taught to be more careful, we might have the courage to step forward in kindness. Kindness lives sacrificially. It's, it's active. It's not just a feeling. We've said this over and over about the, the fruit of the Spirit. If it's not acted out in community, is it, is it really an aspect that we have in our lives? So are you like, like many who, who you know, look at an opportunity where, oh, I should probably help, and you look away hoping that when you look back, someone else will be there? And someone else, or the, it'll, they'll have moved on? Or are we looking for opportunities to step in and act in kindness before the opportunity disappears? In 1 John 3, 18, John says, Little children, who's little children? We're all little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The actual Greek word for kind is, is krestos. Krestos. And part of the meaning of that actually means useful. You're actually doing something that's useful and helpful. It's not just a feeling you had. 
It involves action, like all the fruit of the Spirit. Action includes some kind of self-sacrifice. Therefore, generosity on our part, especially of our time, which is difficult because since we invented time, it's been ruling us. Rarely have we been in charge of time. It's usually ruling us. And so we find ourselves maybe not like, exactly like a New Yorker, but we'll, we'll do a kindness if we can do it on our way. But to press pause in our lives and stop to walk with someone else. It means sacrificing our time. It means sacrificing our desires. Many times without evident reward. Matthew 6, 1-4, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you do give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, you, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The greatest rewards from God come when our acts of kindness are done in, hum, in, in humility, in quiet, and possibly anonymously. Luke 6, 31-35 says, And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For, ever, for, ever, sorry, for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Kindness is sacrificial. Kindness is also counterintuitive. Being kind goes against what we feel, what we're taught, what we're modeled. What if they don't even want our kindness? Have you ever had that? I don't need your help. Sadly, we can't control people's response to the offer of kindness. It'd be nice. Because I know how I want people to respond when I offer kindness. Years ago, and I've, I've shared aspects of this stories before, years ago, I was leading some youth at, a, at a, a central Los Angeles mission. And what we would do each morning is we would wake up, and we, we weren't told where we were going to go. We were told what to wear, and we would go to different places to do some ministry. And one morning, we woke up, and then we went to the Panderia, the, the Spanish bakery, and we grabbed some baked goods. And then we went to MacArthur Park, which is... Is one of the most dangerous areas in L.A. and a lot of homeless people living there. And uh, it, was, it was our job and the student's job to, to take some baked goods, to find someone who lives in the park, and sit down with them, offer them some food, and then sit with them for a half an hour and just have a conversation with them. And so I found myself walking with this bag of baked goods and offering to, to different people who were sitting on benches and, and just waking up from, from their sleep. And... Uh, I remember approaching people and going, hey, would you, would you like, would you like a, a morning bun? And them saying something like, well, what do you have? What do you have? I'm showing you, I'm, I'm trying to bless you. What do you. There's no time for preference. Like, and, then, and then to go beyond that, to have them look in the bag and go, nah. Nah, don't, 
Doesn't this make your day? Doesn't everything seem better now that I'm offering you a cinnamon bun, a coffee roll? Isn't it it better now? It's not kindness. When I'm looking, what is that? When we offer someone something and are looking for a reward, that's business, right? That's not kindness. Kindness is a giving and expecting nothing back. Matthew 6, 3 to 4 is when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The question is, for you and I, is that enough? Is it enough, the fact that our Heavenly Father sees? If He is our only audience, is that good enough for us? If so, we'll see kindness erupt out of our hearts. But apparently, sometimes, in the past, for me, that's not been enough. That's why we have Instagram. I fed this homeless man today. This is me. And I, I don't remember. What, I don't, what, oh, that's so nice. No, it's nothing. Then why did you post it? <laughs> Biblical kindness is counterintuitive because it calls us to give of ourselves without recognition in spite of gratitude or response. Kindness is cultivated. Kindness is cultivated. You're asking, you're asking yourself, I don't have that kind of kindness. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm holding on for a response when I do an act of kindness. Paul says kindness is cultivated. And as we've been walking through this, this series of the fruit of the Spirit, the char- characteristics of what it looks like to be in a community of Christ followers, our our hope and desire is to have kindness grow in us and through us as the Spirit grows in us. As we make more room for for God to take over our lives, we'll naturally see that kindness erupts. Historically, it's been the church that has offered help in times where there's not going to be a great reward, in times where we've been shunned because of it. It has been the church that has stepped into some of the ugliest areas in society, to set up hospitals and orphanages and and to to take care of of the poor and the rejected, the diseased, to run into diseased cities while everyone was running out to show kindness and the love of Christ. That has been our MO for 2,000 years. May it be our MO when we step into a new site and we try to reach that community with the gospel, that they would look at us and go, they are so kind. They're not asking for anything in return. They're just here to serve us. That's how the gospel moves forward. When people were dying of the Black Plague and Christians were running in to serve them, when they, when they came out healthy, where do you think they went? They found these Christians' communities because they couldn't understand this kind of self-sacrifice and kindness. Paul seems to imply that there are, there are plants that need to be planted and weeds that need to be removed, right? There's, there's the anger and there's the, the clamor and the malice. Those things need to be pulled out. And things like, like kindness and, and, and forgiveness and tenderheartedness, they all need to be planted and grown. And all these things that try to fight for them, they need to be torn out. So we need to plant fruit and we need to remove seeds. 
We need to plant this kind of fruit and we need to remove seeds. And it takes genuine effort to be truly kind. I didn't feel like being kind this week so many times. And I failed at it many times. And for this we have the gospel. (laughs) I'm glad that forgiveness is part of the list. It takes work to remove those things that would, would choke out the fruit of the Spirit. Paul calls these the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are so easy because they come so natural. We don't have to fight to, to do those. Those are natural. We don't have to convince ourselves to, to do the things of the flesh. He mentions those just prior to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh, they're evident. We see them everywhere. We see them in our own lives. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. That Really, that means addiction, actually. Uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those, things do such, uh, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are not the natural outcroppings of the Spirit. They're the natural outcroppings of the flesh. And so as we aim to, to, to grow the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be careful daily to weed these things out of our lives. They are not character building because they take no effort. Things that take no effort for us to do are not character building. They don't mature us. But they are where if we follow our culture, we naturally flow. But character takes a weeding out of these things in our lives that that live as if we are our own and that our only mission in life is to feed our own desire. And it's never brought happiness. It's never brought happiness in the past. I was reading a handful of of works this week of of sociological work that has looked at this this pattern that we naturally come to in societies of, of chasing after sexuality, chasing after money, success, And then when people get there, they don't feel any better. In fact, they feel more anxiety, more depression, more pain. But this is what they are told will bring it, so let's bring more of it. I must need more of it. Paul says, no, no, no. You pull that stuff out and you start filling it up with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 to 4, do nothing from selfish ambition. What? That's what we're taught to do. Your heart tells you to do it, you do it. Paul says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it's in giving of ourselves as Christ gave himself for us that we find purpose and we find reward in life. It's the Martin Luthers, it's the Mother Teresas who will say they have found joy and they have found peace even though they've walked through great trial because they have found their purpose in his purpose. They have found their model of sacrifice and kindness in the model of sacrifice and tenderness and forgiveness and kindness of Christ. That's where we find purpose. That's where we find reward. And so we need to plan and we need to weed and we do this Not by moral effort, but by firmly planting ourselves in Christ. By fixing our eyes on Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says. It's not about looking at the sin in our lives that so easily entangles, the author says. 
We don't get anywhere by continually looking at the things that are pulling us back. We, get, we move forward by looking to Christ, the perfecter of our faith, who's run the race before us. We can, we can be who God has called us to be because it's firmly rooted in Christ, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. That's where we're called to be firmly rooted. There was a study done a few years ago about being able to tell the characteristics of an individual not by looking at them, but by looking at everyone around them. So that if we, on a board, put a blank face and then looked at all the people around them and what, how they lived their lives, whether they were healthy eaters, whether they exercised a lot, the kind of people they hung out with, kind of where they were politically, religiously, you could look at all of them and be close to 100% in understanding the health and the maturity of that person in the middle without ever spoke, speaking to them or meeting them. And it was very accurate. So that means two things for you and I this morning. And we know that, that, that's true. We can see that in our lives. One is, uh, do we spend our time in community with people who nurture kindness and love and compassion. Is anyone watching Amazing Race Canada? They're calling it the hero edition, and, and this time it's people I'd actually consider heroes, people who are working in soup kitchens, and, and, and people who are serving, and whenever Lainey and I are watching it, we're just like, I want to be more like these people. I want to hang out with people. I want to be the kind of people who live like that, so selflessly, and give to others. So who are we spending our community with? People who are angry and bitter, who are we following on Facebook? Man, you want to get bitter quick? Spend five minutes on Facebook. Where there is so much vilifying, so much us and them, it can only tear away at our hearts. Or are we spending time in community where there is kindness and tenderness and forgiveness, where we stop slander? I mean, it should be, should be called slander book. Where we pull back on slander and we start planting all this other goodness. So that, that's the first thing. Is who, who, that's the question. Who are we hanging out with? But how? The second question is, how do we think we are going to grow in kindness and compassion and self-control when we don't abide with the greatest source and the greatest embodiment of those things? If we do not abide with Christ and walk with Christ and invest our lives more in Him, the fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of community, as I've said, but ultimately in Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love. Walk in love. As Christ loved us, we find our model in Christ. And he gave himself up for us. That's the model. Are we giving ourselves up for something greater than ourselves? A fragrant, if we do, it's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Galatians 1, 4, speaking of Christ, he gave himself up for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Galatians 2.20, Paul says of himself, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the model of our kindness. It's all found in the person of Christ. We want to find out how to love our community, how to love our our spouse is better, our kids better. It's all found in the model of Christ. Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How can we ever, as Christ followers, and for those of you who are, who are Christ followers here, how can we ever put ourselves on a pedestal and vilify others and hold animosity and slander and lack forgiveness and grace when it's been so freely given to us? We who worship and serve a God who gave, it is only fitting and natural that we are known as people who give of ourselves. Right living, holy living does not evolve from us just trying to do better. That's, that's just simple moralism. It's not life giving and it's not sustainable. That's why Jesus tells us to abide in him. That's where our kindness comes from. Otherwise we get on this list of things we failed at. But it naturally grows out. You ever found yourself in a better mood because you've hung out with someone who's, who's spoken so much love and encouragement in your life? Is there more than that comes from the cross and the resurrection of Christ? And the hope that he places in our hearts? Should that not emanate as we step out of this building in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities? That has not been the case for many churches. They've been known as people with picket signs and angry faces and words of hate. Let that not be us. In John 15, 4, Jesus says these words. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Any attempt at holiness outside of that that is bound to Christ is going to tire us out and it's going to tear us down. The reason that Paul can ask us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, is because God in Christ forgave us. And all of the fruit of the Spirit must come back to this. It all comes back to Christ, where we are nurtured because we're growing more and more in Christ, and He's taking up more and more residence in us. It's a good place to be. We're, we pray without ceasing. We're, we're excited to study his word. Yeah, there's some things. I don't get that. I don't agree with that. That doesn't work with, with who I am. When we get past that and we continue to read and continue to dive deeper into the word of God. And as we do so, we, we take on his characteristics because we take on the character of the people we are with. See, Jesus practiced kindness that was radical for his time. Radical for his time. Radical for his culture. He always had great concern for women as well as men, for children as well as adults, for other races as well as the Jewish race, for the sick and the weak, those who were considered cursed by their culture as well as the strong. Often Jesus wore himself out praying for people, healing people, feeding people, helping them in other ways. When Jesus looks at the multitudes of people with, with their problems, with their sickness, with their burden, he's moved to compassion over and over and over. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he didn't say, oh, brother, another one? Ugh, I just need to get away. I need to get to my cabin and relax. He had compassion for them. Because they, were her, because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14. And he went 
ashore and he saw a great multitude. They were always waiting for him. He couldn't get away from them. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. The sick never went away. They kept coming. He was characterized by kindness and compassion that reached past comfort. That cut into his time over and over again. And to many looked counterintuitive to what the culture was saying. Even the religion of the day was saying. There was no reward in it. Ultimately, it led to death. Jesus said, I am ultimately here to do the will of the Father. I abide in him, and you ought to abide in me as I abide in him. That's the invitation. That's the invitation this morning, which puts us on a far greater mission with a far greater purpose than we will ever come up with for ourselves. Our missions that we come up with on ourselves, are, they go about this far, and then they stop. To dive deeper into Christ, that is where holiness and the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that's where they find their root. That is the invitation this morning. One of the ways that we learn to abide more in Christ and to reflect on his goodness and his forgiveness and his grace is through communion, which we are going to take now. If you are going to be serving communion, I'm going to invite you up to prepare. Invite the band to get up here as well. There are a handful of things that go on when we take communion. It's a time of remembrance because we look at the past and and we reflect on what Christ did for us as the greatest display of grace and compassion and kindness that we can ever see displayed anywhere. Greatest display of love. So we look at the past and, and we remember that because Jesus said, whenever you take bread together, I want you to remember that my body was given for you. And Bread is given for what? For the nourishment of the body. I am giving my, my body for the nourishment of your souls. For an eternity. Not the kind of bread that will make you go hungry again. But we also, when we eat, we look to the future. Because Jesus said, I want you to eat this until I return. This is all going somewhere. The reason, in, in our present pain, in our present suffering, in our present times of loss, that we can still look forward with hope and joy is because God is writing a beautiful narrative and it is all heading towards the redemption of all humanity. The redemption of creation. So we eat with hope for that day. But also when we eat, we remember that Jesus has invited us to abide with him. This is not a pie in the sky when you die. This is not a get your passport stamp so when the ship comes you can get on. This is a live with me now He was resurrected for a reason. It proclaimed the truth of his claims and the fact that all the sacrifice was worth it and it meant something in the eyes of the Father. But it was also that he could walk with you and I right now in Port Coquitlam in 2018. With whatever you are walking with, you do not come to a God. When you come to communion, when you worship the God of the Bible, you do not worship a God without scars. You worship a God who understands the plight of humanity, who understands rejection and loss. And that ought to bring us comfort as well. He said, take the bread, it's my body broken for you. He said, take the cup, the cup is my blood that was spilt for you, and he gave it all for us. 
unto death. So I'm going to pray and how we take communion here. If you are a Christ follower, you are well, it can be your first time here, but if you're a Christ follower, um, you're welcome to take part in communion. And how we do it here after I pray, um, the band's going to lead us in worship. And uh, when you're ready, you don't have to rush up. We're not going to run out of bread. If you want to spend a little time of reflection and prayer before you come up, you can do so. And how we do it here is we tear from the loaf and we dip in the cup and you can eat it on the spot. And then let's just worship together and respond together. God of grace, it's my prayer that you would meet each of us as we are right here now with no masks on, no pretending. It's such a comfort to know we can come to a God who understands and a God who knows. And it is my prayer that your spirit would come down on us now and bring comfort and bring counsel. Many of us have have questions. We're just wondering how we're going to get through this next week, these next months. Many of us have issues that we've dealt with this last week that we're going to have to face again tomorrow. I pray that you would give us strength and counsel in those moments. And God, it's my prayer you would do a real work in us this week. Regardless of circumstance, we have seen saints throughout the ages who have walked into difficult times and shown kindness and compassion in the face of, of fear and danger and chaos. And so if you have, as you have placed us in an area that is really quite safe in so many ways, I pray we would have the courage to step out in kindness even when it seems counterintuitive, even when it seems that we're going to get nothing from it, because this is the model that you have given to us. And Father, in light of that, save us from simple morality that would strive to be better just by pulling up our bootstraps. I pray that we would find great joy in living a life that displays the fruit of the Spirit because we are abiding in you, Jesus, and so we're taking on your character in our lives. We remember, we look forward with hope, and we thank you for your presence with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.